0: Ladies and gentlemen, we have a really important announcement to make. What's the important announcement? I bought a thousand stickers. Oh! (laughs) Uh, So here's the deal for the next month. Mm -hmm. If you subscribe, comment, or rate the pod, we will send you a sticker for free. And they are dope stickers. They're great. All you have to do, one of those three things, send us an address, we send you the sticker. Through the magic of snail mail. (laughs) It's pretty simple. (laughs) We might even let Jack send you a handwritten note as well. So I think it'll be a cool way to get this rolling, and the stickers are great. Appreciate it. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. Welcome to the Learner Lab podcast presented by TrainUgly.com. Each week, something new that can help us learn. Let's go! I think like the coolest part about my job is I get to hang out in lots of different industries when I do these workshops, like lots of times with sports teams, schools, and companies. And something I've noticed is like these three buckets, they're doing really brilliant things within them. And there should be like more collaboration between the three. Definitely. So I think a cool angle here for today would be to look at some of the things from the business and like startup world, some of the tools and tactics they use, and figure out maybe if we could apply some of those ideas to learning. That sounds awesome. Are you in on that? I'm in on that. Let's All go. right, let's go. <laughs> I think there are four sort of mental models we can work to unpack. Obviously, okay. there are more, but four that matter. So what? What for? Let's what start gonna with uh, uh, we're going to start with what they call the eighty twenty principle.
1: Basically, the idea that the majority of our results come from a small few of our actions. Sure. Just a tool for separating out the most important things from the things that don't matter as much. And it shows up everywhere. It shows up in the management world uh, as a function of the twenty percent of your customers bring in eighty percent of your revenue. Mm-hmm. It also shows up in our language, like in our conversation. We only use about twenty percent
0: of our vocabulary to communicate. 80 80%. 80%. Yeah. And and on the flip side it's like 20% of people cause 80% of the problems. Right. In the startup world, they use this to really hone in on building a product. It's like looking at the key features that matter the most and spending our time and energy on those. I think you can already see how this is a useful tactic to learning. It's basically just a way for us to get more bang for our buck and focus on the high-impact items. If I wanted to be a better basketball player, a smart approach might be over the off-season focus on like the two to three most high-impact skills that will help me make the biggest leap right and focusing on those and practicing those is going to be the best use of my time right
1: and and it translates to everything too right there's a ton of skills we could learn out there we could learn so, how to sing or dance yeah. or play guitar yeah. and all those are great yeah but maybe we want to focus on
0: a broader skill like learning right ah. you could make the argument that being a great learner shameless plug <laughs> Would be one of those 20% of yeah. skills because it's like so versatile. It's like a skill we can use everywhere. It's There's a, a lot high of spillover. Skill. It goes yeah. to a bunch of different things. Yeah. Tool number two is called the five whys. And this was a system developed by Toyota back in the day. So they would use this system to get to like the root cause of a problem. So build a car and the door falls off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the default approach or how we would normally do it would be like, well, fix the door. Right. But what that's doing is really just like fixing the symptom of the problem. It's just the surface level issue. Right. And with the five whys, we're trying to dig a little deeper. So door falls off. Why? Wasn't installed properly. Why? The person who installed the door did it wrong. Why? That person didn't have enough time or was rushed. Why? We didn't have enough people on the team that's an actual solvable problem like mm-hmm. yes fix the door right but like let's add someone else to the team and we're less likely to have more doors falling off later it's it's sort of like looking through the lens of a child right how they ask why all the time and figuring yeah. it out like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and some parents get annoyed with that but it's a useful framework to solving problems right. or solving the root cause of problems not just fixing the yeah. symptom
1: Some of the scenarios when the five whys are most useful to us are when obstacles are in our path. So when anything comes towards us and we see some adversity and we're struggling, we don't know how to handle it. The five whys is really useful to start breaking that down from the symptom to the root cause and figuring out how to move forward. Mm -hmm.
0: I failed my math test. Why? Maybe it's because you didn't study enough. And then why didn't I study? Well, maybe... uh I didn't have enough time allocated to study for that test Right, poor time management. Yes. And so that was two wise and it got us to more of the root cause of the problem. It's I can fix my time management skills, which will provide more time to study and hopefully the next test I'll do better.
1: So it's not like you have to go five wise deep each time. It's just ask it until you get to the root.
0: Or just something you can change. Something that we can change, more of the root cause. Mm-hmm. We can use this all over the place. Uh, it's not just about building cars. Right. It's like, there's a thing that happened, let's get to a root cause that's fixable, and then that thing is less likely to happen. A lot of these tools are just helping us be more efficient with where we spend our time and energy. Right. And again, this is another strategy to do that. Right. We can be better, and this is how. Yes. The next one I want to jump into, there's this book. It's called The Lean Startup. It's, I think, over 10 years old. And it's sort of just like the blueprint of how to start a company now Mm -hmm. that everyone's using. And there's lots of ideas within it. But most important for us is test your assumptions before you invest a lot of time and money in them. The easiest way to think about it is the traditional way to start a business is You like lock yourself in the basement for two years and build a product, take it to market. And then you find out like, whoops, no one really wants this. So I just wasted two years of time and money to build this product. If we're going to be lean, it's how could we test the assumption that people will like this product before wasting two years of time and money?
2: Would people do this? Would people like this? Um, How would they react to this? And you don't just assume they'll love it. You actually test it.
0: That's Sean Puri. He's the CEO of a tech startup in San Francisco.
2: In startups, you don't just try to build the whole product up front. You don't just say, we have this big vision. Here's how we want to do it. You start with a prototype. You start with like a simple, what we call like a quick and dirty version. It turns out that it's much easier to build something quick, simple, and give you know put it in front of people, put it out in the wild rather than just keeping it in your little office, in your little room, in your head, Uh, It's better to put it out in the wild, see how people react to it, because that'll tell you how to change it, how to tweak it. You need that feedback, that feedback loop to make something better, faster.
0: Pretend we have a website and we have this vision of creating this chat bot that has like all these cool features. People go to the site, they can use this Um, to build it. It might take months and tens of thousands of dollars. The traditional approach would be we invest that time and money and build the bot if we're going to be lean it's how could we test that without investing time and money it's like we'll just have someone act like the bot like someone in the company is like chatting with the people mm. and doing the things the bot does like you can do that test tomorrow for free and learn do people even use this do people even care about this right
1: so there you're testing the assumption that, that people even want it that,
0: exactly for free and if they want it and they like it then by you all build means, the bot build the bot ah. There's thousands of assumptions that you could have. Right. It's what are the most high impact risky ones? Which in this scenario is, do they even want this bot? Because it's not assuming that they want the bot to have a male voice or a female voice. Exactly. Let's look at this. If like we're in college or high school and writing a a real big high impact paper, It's uh, like, that's a like final the majority paper? of our uh, grade, and we have like a month to do it. Okay. What would that look like if we're going to be lean? If and we're going to be lean and
1: test our assumptions, we're well. Let's let's look at how we're not going to do it. Okay. Okay. Or, or the poor way to do it, right? <laughs> what not to do? <laughs> yeah. It. Okay. So, if we're going to write this paper, maybe we latch onto a topic and we lock ourselves in our room for a week straight and just crank that paper out. Do and the whole thing. Do just the whole thing.
0: Basically, just pick a topic. Yeah. Write the find the thesis. Write the thesis and, and then it crank in. it out.
1: Yeah. Okay. You're done with it. Turn it in, and then you get the grade back. And you took the wrong angle, the completely wrong angle. You wrote the wrong thing, wrong argument, yeah. wrong topic. Right. Uh, Something was off. So right. now, if we were going to be lean, we could do it this way. We could okay. maybe brainstorm a couple of ideas, like five to ten ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And then make a brief outline, just the general premise of them. Like, we're gonna, this is our thesis, and this is the angle we're going to take with the paper. Mm-hmm. So now we've got our ideas. We could take that to our teacher, our professor, and say, hey, these are five ideas that I was looking at for writing this final paper. Mm. Could you just give me some feedback on them? And if if they seem like they're in the right direction.
0: Mm. And then double down on that one.
1: Double down on the one that she's like, yeah. Getting good feedback
0: from the professor. Finding the angle, kind of working through the problem by getting some useful input. Right. Testing the assumption that I think this is a good topic or good argument. Right.
1: You save yourself lots of time. And you're going to end up with a better grade because that's what you're supposed to be writing about. It's right. a better angle.
0: Right. Wow. Makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. I uh, wish I would have known this back in the day. <laughs> this principle hits close to home because like no exaggeration, this legit saved my life. I want to hear about this. And I'm not kidding. Um, in a past life in college, my best friends and I, came up with a business idea. We wanted to start, like, the Chipotle of sushi. That sounds delicious. Uh, <laughs> now, like, this could be a long story, but it uh, it has a point. Uh-huh. So we actually won a business plan competition in college won some money, and we decided, like, all right, we're doing this. And we kind of went down the traditional path of how to start a restaurant. Like, we partnered with a chef, and he trained us, and we moved to Colorado and found a location, and we were... Just about to sign a huge lease, really expensive location, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line, like a 10 year guarantee. So this is a big deal. Even some of our parents were going to like help back us a little bit on the guarantee. It's like like our (laughs) lives are on the line and parents' lives are on the line. (laughs) That's when you know it's real. And we were days away from signing that. And Sean, my best friend in the world read the lean startup by Eric Reese. And what we realized is we are about to lay down the biggest bet of all time. Our assumption is people will eat sushi a lot, but the truth is we had done nothing to like test that assumption. You just thought like when we did the numbers, we looked at like, look, people need to eat here eat sushi like twice a week. And if they do that, it works. That's like Chipotle and burritos, Mexican food. People eat it twice a week. It works. We need the same thing for us. And we're about to bet half a million dollars on this. 10 years of your life. And 10 years of our life. And what we realized is like, we should probably test this before (laughs) we do that. And so we came up with this approach to test the assumption. We actually found a commissary kitchen that we could rent on a week-to-week basis in downtown Denver, set up a really simple website, small menu, and people could go and pick what they wanted, and we would deliver it to people in downtown Denver for lunch between 11 and 2. And there was like no upfront cost other than the food and our weekly lease at this kitchen. And this allowed us to test so many things. We got to test menu items and tweak like, the recipes of the sushi rolls. Mm-hmm. But the biggest test we got to run, we got to collect so much data and look at the behavior. And what we found is people weren't eating sushi two times a week. It was more like two times a month. Whoa! Like that- they, were, they were loving it. We got great feedback. It was really high-quality stuff. But sushi just wasn't really on the radar. It's more of like a, a couple times a month thing. And we learned that essentially for free. Actually, we learned that lesson and made money Uh because this was a super profitable model. And this allowed us to avoid, like, honestly, a catastrophe. We would still be on the line (laughs) for that lease at this point. This was only about eight years ago. We'd still have two more years guaranteed paying into this restaurant that we were days away from signing on. Wow. That sounds like you escaped. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm not on this podcast if we sign that thing. And so passionate about the lean startup approach. And I know that's like kind of a big overarching story, Uh but again, it's something we can use in our everyday lives when it comes to being a learner. It's like, what are my assumptions? Right. How can I test them? And it's making them clear and known, right? Like this is what I'm assuming going into it and then testing us. You could honestly even deploy the 80, 20 ratio of, okay. I have lots of assumptions. Right. Let's look at the maybe the riskiest or most important. Because yeah, you only need to
1: focus on yeah. a couple of them exactly. or the most important one. Right, right.
0: It's like for the sushi restaurant, it's like we had thousands of assumptions. Right. People like uh, cream cheese with their salmon. Yeah. It's like, OK, cool. That one doesn't really matter if yeah. they're not eating sushi two times a week. Yeah. So it's like we prioritized and then we test the riskiest ones. Thank you. Link so startup. testing your assumptions can save your life y'all, but also we can use it in the short run too, in how we learn, how we approach problems. What are our assumptions? How do we test them? Okay. We've gone through three useful principles for the tool belt. Can you handle one more? I think do you so. have it in here. Come right. at me. <laughs> Let's go. Last one is called practice. Is better than planning. Ooh, that's a good one. Now, for me lately, this has been the most useful. And the idea here is to solve a problem or get better at something, practicing it and taking action is going to lead to more growth and a better solution than simply planning or coming up with the perfect plan. Mm.
1: Yeah, I actually saw an example of this that they did. uh, They did a study in a pottery class Mm -hmm. and they set up the class so that there were two different groups and one group's assignment was to make one piece of pottery, like one vase, the perfect one. So the whole semester they were focused on that. Then the other group was told make a hundred different vases. Mm
0: -hmm. Like the group that was making one, it's the goal was to make the best like pottery thing that we could make. The best vase or something. (laughs) (laughs) Pottery (laughs) thing. Pottery thing. Vase. And so like Group one was, okay, you spend all semester perfecting the one. Right. Group two was... You do a hundred 100 iterations 100 of hundred different... Vases. Pottery things. <laughs> pottery. <laughs> I'm going to triple down on that. Yeah. It's pottery things. We're
1: in it now. We can't, and we so can't back
0: And so, what happened?
1: So... Surprisingly, what they found is that the best vases or pottery things came from <laughs> came from the, the group of students that produced 100 throughout the course of that semester.
0: And it kind of makes sense. The, the group that did 100 one, more practice, more reps, right. more feedback, more iterations like they're testing and learning every time they do it. Group one, like more planning and perfecting. Again, a useful tool of how we practice stuff right. and get good at stuff. Yeah, like planning is an important part of the process. For right.
1: sure. But it's yeah. easy to procrastinate with planning.
0: But planning feels so good. It feels like, so good. It feels like you're doing something. You get but, caught up in the whiteboard yeah. uh, and like but we would never do this no. with a podcast. No, we we, we wouldn't spend we buckle down and get it done. <laughs> we wouldn't spend two months whiteboarding out how to do a podcast. Yeah. We would just start and yeah. learn it on the fly
2: you know, when I first started, I was guilty of this. I would love to be up on a whiteboard and draw draw out a great plan that looks fantastic. And the problem is every idea looks like a billion dollar idea on a whiteboard. And then, you know, the only thing that happened to me was I, I took that whiteboard idea and I tried it eventually and it didn't really hold up. You know, Mike Tyson has that quote, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's what was happening to us. We had to go out and get punched in the face. And so we realized pretty quickly that It is useful to plan because planning is just what we call thinking. Um, But thinking is not enough. You got to also start doing. And so we have a small period of time where we think and we say, this is what we know. This is what we don't know. And we're comfortable with that. And then we move. Then we say, great. The only way to really verify that what we know is true and find out the things we don't know is to go do it.
0: Practice is better than planning. It's about getting reps. Yeah. That's how we get better.
1: I think that's important because if you're, if you're, focus is on getting better and growing you need those reps it's action yeah. It's action and reps and if you go through reps. that process a hundred times yep yeah that's 99 more times than if you'd just done it once absolutely that's a
2: lot let's say you wanted to make a car and so the first thing you do is you say well what's a car for right it's for somebody to get from point a to point b okay i'm trying to go from here to there cool so a car is a great great option now let's say the problem is that cars take six months to build so you you have two options you either start building the car and month one, you build the, the wheels and the axles and month two, you make the, the shell and month three, you put in the steering you know, service and then month four, you build the engine, whatever. Uh, I don't know how cars are made obviously, but you get the idea. Yeah. You do one step at a time, but the problem is that in month one, nobody can use your thing to go from point A to point B. It's just two wheels and an axle. In month two, they can't use it either because it's just a shell and an axle, right? So you, uh, it takes, all the way until the car's done for somebody to even get the value from it, to, to get from point A to point B. So when you're thinking prototype, you want to say, great, I want to build a car one day. So today, instead of building the first couple of wheels of the car, let me build a skateboard because a skateboard is a really simple way of getting from point A to point B. It's not perfect. It doesn't work everywhere. It works for short distances. It doesn't work in grass. You know, all those are good, cool, but it works for some people some of the time and that's better than nothing today so you first build the skateboard then you build a scooter then you build a bike then you build a motorcycle then you build a car and the whole time you will have become an expert on knowing what people need when they're trying to go from a to b you'll learn all these things you never would have learned if you had just stayed in your shop trying to build a car
0: you mentioned like what not to do earlier i have another example all right let's hear it did a workshop um, with this company And a big part of our presentation is like a 90 minute segment about feedback, Mm -hmm. like the research about how to give better feedback and how that can change a a company culture. And it really refines down to two simple principles to make our feedback better. And we went through this with them at the end of the day, some of the leaders in the company, we were hanging out and they're like, yo, we love that feedback piece. We're going to spend the next 10 months no. planning this out and really digesting it. And then we're going to roll it out. What a stupid <laughs> thing to do. Like the truth is, it's like, these are simple principles off the top of their head in the workshop. They're coming up with things to say, right, like this is how we could do it. This is- like the idea is this. It's like, Hey, the only way to get better at giving feedback is to be giving feedback. Uh-huh. And it's not going to be perfect out of the gate, right? but through the practice and action, we're going to grow and get better versus 10 months of planning something when we already know the structure and framework today.
1: Yeah. Well, and they're going to have to go through that process of giving Anyways, feedback eventually. Why wait? Yeah. Yeah. It's 10 months you could have been practicing.
0: Absolutely. If we had to, we could go all day with this and incorporate more principles. And maybe we'll do an episode in the future where we talk more about some of right, this. Call
1: that hotline if yeah. you want to hear about it. Yeah,
0: you call that hot, hotline. <laughs> also, call that hotline, everyone. <laughs> so quick summary of what we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the 80-20 principle helps us get to like the most high-impact things to spend our time and energy on. Uh, the five whys helps us get to like the root cause of the problem. Right. And trying to solve that or identify what it is and fix it. Testing your assumptions
1: is just making your assumptions clear and known and then testing those before you devote tons of time and money. Right. Practice over planning is just getting that rough outline and then getting the reps and going through that process as much as possible.
0: If you're interested in more information, uh, the Lean Startup by Eric Reese is a great, fantastic book, Like lots of case studies in there. He also has a new book called The Startup Way, which is how to use these tactics even if we're not in a startup. Um, he has a really interesting blog as well.
1: And producer Jack will link to all of those Absolutely. Jack will notes.
0: drop those links.
1: Jack, it's time to load up those questions.
0: Hey, Trevor and Alex. I'm from Munich, Germany.
3: My name is Johnny kimmel And I wanted to know what you can do to stay motivated each day to strive for your goal. I love the new podcast. Thank you.
0: A question all the way from Germany. This is a big one. And it's a common question that we get a lot. And so we actually devoted an entire episode to that. And that drops next Tuesday. It's about how to like stay motivated and take action. So keep an eye out on that. It's coming next week.
3: Hey, this is Nathan from Wyoming. I just listened to your episode about desirable difficulty, and I had an interesting question when you're talking about variation.
1: So you mentioned that when it's, uh, in learning a skill, it's important to make sure you vary how you're practicing to make sure you're not getting into an autopilot zone. But I'd be interested in hearing your comments on making sure that you don't go too far in that direction. You used a metaphor of, you know, if you're practicing putting and you spend all your time doing the same shot, that's not helpful. But surely if you did one shot and you missed and then you moved, that side of the spectrum wouldn't be helpful either. So I'd just love to hear where you feel like a good
0: middle ground is. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Nathan. Great question. Um, the idea with a lot of this skill development, especially in like the sports world, it's like, you don't have to make the shot in order to learn Mm -hmm. the feedback on our process actually comes from kind of like how, where we missed the putt. And so whether it goes in or not, we can learn, oh, I hit that too hard, too soft or through the break. And so we get all that information regardless of whether we make it or not. And so it, it, it's still best to vary. Now, of course, we can vary within our skill set and there's a time and a place where we can do the same shot a few times in a row. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But the goal is if we're really trying to build the full skill, we do need to keep our brain out of autopilot.
3: Hey, this is Cole. I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, Really enjoyed the podcast so far. I'm a sociologist and I'm also a mom and a mom of a toddler. And so I have some questions about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, like that being fueled by those internal forces versus being motivated by carrots and sticks. So my toddler is rejecting the idea of like sticker charts and rewards and things like that um, for some a basic function which is learning to potty train so I'm wondering how you can take lessons about intrinsic motivation and simplify it down to its core material. Like what is the, what's, how do we uh, really motivate like a small cave person, <laughs> which is a toddler um, in an intrinsic way? Yeah. Just curious.
1: Thanks so much for your question, Cole. That's a really good one. We agree that we want to focus on intrinsic motivation and developing that. Uh, we also want to make it clear that neither of us have kids, so we, <laughs> we are not the experts yeah, here. We, we're not experts here, but we did do a little bit of research, and we found this really cool TED Talk by Dan Pink, and he kind of talks about um, motivation, and some of the principles that he talks about are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. It's basically the building blocks of intrinsic motivation. Right, so we'll put a link to that. Uh, in the show notes, Jack will do that. Mm -hmm. And that might be a good starting point. We think that you might want to focus on the principles of autonomy and purpose. Uh, Autonomy just means helping the kid have ownership of whatever issue it is. Uh, And so (laughs) here's kind of what we thought up. Something we think it might be fun to try would be sort of flipping the script and just asking the kid, how might you teach someone to go potty?
0: And then just sort of see what they come up with. It's like we're flipping the script, giving them some ownership and asking for advice. How would you teach someone to do this? Right. And that might get us on the right path. Right. Uh, Again, disclaimer, (laughs) we have no clue what the right answer is. But if you do that, definitely let us know (laughs) what happens. Uh, Thanks again for calling in. Thanks so much for all of the questions. We'll see you guys next week.